0: Welcome to today's edition of Daytime Dialogues. It is truly an honor to welcome back Rabbi Michael Shudrich, who is the Chief Rabbi of Poland. The last time uh, Rabbi Shudrich and I spoke, it was about all of the activities with Polish Jewry and all of the wonderful things he has done since becoming the Chief Rabbi in 2004. And since then, the world has turned upside down and uh, Rabbi Shudrich finds himself in the center of uh, of the ukrainian crisis of being able to care for the jews who have left ukraine who are refugees and helping them move the next step in life in fact from our shul we were very pleased that we were able to be part of an ou effort and we raised a hundred thousand dollars to send over to uh, help make a seder and things that we would have never imagined doing before rabbi Shudruch is in the middle of a concert that is being done to help raise money. And he stepped out for a moment to join us. Thank you so very much, Rabbi Shudruch, for joining today.
1: It's always an honor and a pleasure.
0: Okay, so let me let me start from some simple things. Rabbi, um, have things calmed down a bit, or is it still as hectic as it was a couple of months ago?
1: Okay, it certainly has calmed down. Uh, we don't know if it's come down forever or if it's a low and we're waiting for the next wave. Obviously, it's not dependent on us. It's not even dependent on the Ukraine. It's dependent on, uh, on what the aggressor Putin decides to do. Uh, so, but in terms of coming down, uh, it, it, it's become slightly more manageable, but basically where we are today is we succeeded, we people of Poland, Jewish community of Poland, people from other countries and people of goodwill, like people from your shore, we have succeeded in saving people from death. But now the challenge is to give them life. In other words, they're safe. They have a place to sleep. They have food to eat. But now we need to find them jobs, find them apartments, find school, schools for the children. And those things that would bring them much greater sense of self-respect and uh, and uh, security and stability. Well,
0: let's, let's just give some numbers of perspective. How many refugees are, is the Jewish community of Poland dealing with today?
1: Okay, so I would estimate that the Jewish community of Warsaw, together with with a little bit in, in Lodz and together with Lublin, kind of like it's the northern part of north-central part of of Poland, uh, together with the JDC, the joint, uh, and Chabad. We're all pretty much working on the same team now. uh, We have contact with about 500 Jewish families, refugees from the Ukraine. Now, of course, when we say help, help comes in many different um, size packages. There are some people who found themselves in an apartment, but they need to find a school for their kids. Um, there are other people that um, have found a job, have found an apartment, but someone needs medical care, and there are other people who need help, we, we, this, which we did already, giving them a place to live, giving a place to eat, I mean, everything, the full package. So when I say 500 families, it doesn't mean we're doing absolutely everything, but for, for many of them, we're fully responsible for all their needs.
0: And those families are any of the husbands the men alongside with the families or these are women who are taking charge?
1: A handful with men. Uh, the men that got out were either those who got a medical discharge or those who had three or more children mm-hmm. so it's not, the vast majority are women by themselves, sometimes with their mothers, sometimes with their fathers if they were over 60. Uh, and and children. And how many have we? Come- we even sometimes we even sometimes have four generations of women. Wow! And how many
0: came through Poland and then ended up in Israel or other countries? You have an
1: idea? Our, yeah, I, I, if I remember correctly, something about 13,000 Ukrainian refugees made aliyah through Poland.
0: And you at that the early stages you were helping with that uh, funnel over?
1: Well, it, actually, the, in this case, really did a phenomenal job. They needed some help the first couple of days, but then they really had people here. Um, where we were helpful was also providing kosher food. Uh, and But that's, of the different groups, that group is the most, in a sense, well taken care of because the Suchnut rented a, rented uh, hotels. They have uh, you know, the consulate people here dealing with the bureaucracy, it takes now seven to 10 days for a person to make aliyah, which is that fast. Uh, and there's still a place, and we were talking about it this week, about doing something for the refugees when they're here, even for seven to 10 days. Uh, and, for example, one interesting question, we are doing a summer camp for the refugees who are here, who are staying, and we have so far about 70 kids signed up for day camp for July. Uh, we could probably take another 10, 15. Uh, and w- the question is, should we take kids who are making aliyah with their mothers, who are only going to come to the camp for a week and then make aliyah? Or is it better to not to have new kids coming and constantly changing, disrupting the flow of the camp? This is a completely, this is an educator's question. It's a psychologist's question. Um, we're starting next week and we haven't come to a decision yet. But it's, you know, it, it's a very good question. There are some questions that are clear. We should find people work. That's not a question. The question is how to find the work. But in this case, it's actually a very interesting question, you know. You could argue this way, you could argue that way. And we have to come to a decision. So it's... Um, what can I say? It's, it's It's been challenging because they're questions that we never thought of before and we never thought we'd have to deal with.
0: And is your Polish Jewish community able to step up to this challenge? Are there enough people to help out? Are you bringing in people from overseas?
1: OK. Uh, uh, there, there are two. Let's say there are two aspects. One is the people, the people question, You know the staffing we've done pretty well so far just from within the community. Uh, the, where, we're, where we're lacking is uh, in psychologists, mental health professionals who speak Russian and because it's very specific. It, the Mental health professionals need to speak Russian or Ukrainian to be able to help these people who have all gone through horrible trauma, but also have to be psychologists, psychiatrists who don't have a full-time job. Right? Because these are people who have patients. And well, everyone's ready to give a few hours a week. That's not really what we need. We need full-time people. And so we're kind of getting stuck. Because we're, we're asking our Polish Jewish psychiatrists, psychologists, who do some of them do speak Russian, to give up their old patients to take new patients. Seems to me there's a problem there. So... You know and and that is, we're trying, we, we haven't found the answer yet. We're, we're intensely working on it now. I have another meeting tomorrow. Uh, we're working with two Israeli uh, psychologists who uh, have expertise in trauma. Horribly, Israel has experts on tra- dealing with trauma because of what we know happens in Israel. Um, and so we're trying to find the, the wisest setup. The, the wisest system to be able to help uh, the Ukrainians in the most effective, wisest way.
0: And is the Polish community welcoming, it's still welcoming to the refugees? Or I imagine when it first began, everyone was in crisis mode. And now normal life is beginning and all of a sudden you have refugees there. Is it working well?
1: Okay, so the question is working well for whom? In other words, we have members of the community that have taken in refugees into their home. And it's now four months. Um, That's how people took after three and a half months, three months ago, but it's still, it's already some amount of time. Um, We haven't seen tremendous burnout yet. But one of the things I spoke to the psychologists from Israel about, It's helping us deal with the burnout that will come because it's, it's got to come. Hopefully not. And God willing, the war will be over tomorrow and everybody goes home and, you know, you know, and everyone lives happily ever after, and you know, and prince charming kisses, this sleeping beauty. And it's, it's all perfect. Doesn't look like it's going to happen so we need to we are look we're we're aware of the issue i don't i don't feel i I can't say today that we found the solution yet but one of the one of the part certainly part of the solution is finding people jobs which will then enable them to find apartments and even if we found an apartment now we have the capability to help them the first few months to pay for rent and here's the second part can the community handle it we can that's because of you, you, a North American jury, you, uh, JFNA, Jewish Federations of North America, the Chicago Federation, uh, many, many other federations throughout the United States and Canada, who have been so increasingly generous. If it wasn't for your help with the Satyrs and other people's help with many other things, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do this. I mean, we could, you know, we could do some of it, but the fact that we're able to do as much as we can is only because of your generosity.
0: And just to understand, when when the Ukrainian refugees, the Jewish Ukrainian refugees came to Poland, uh, do they speak Polish? Do the Polish people generally speak Russian? Uh, is Do we have real language barriers there that exist?
1: Okay. Okay. Um, Basically, as a general rule, all Ukrainians speak Russian. Uh, All Poles, over the age of 50, had many years of Russian in school. And although maybe they didn't use their Russian for, for decades, it's somewhere there. Polish and Ukrainian are quite similar they tell me it's Spanish, like Spanish and Portuguese, but I don't know what that means because I don't speak Spanish, um, I don't Portuguese. I do know uh, that what people tell me is that you, you can communicate, you know, where is the train station? Please go straight and make a left. That much you can communicate. When you're getting much more advanced, it gets to be difficult. But at least there's the ability to say, where's the toilet? where's the bathroom, where's the train station, um, how much does this cost? You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, 7, 8, 9, 10, there is some common uh, language being that they're two Slavic languages.
0: And is there an assumption that when the war is over that the refugees will wanna go back? Or do you think that uh, the husbands will come and uh, help transform the Polish Jewish community?
1: Um, Everyone is different. Um, I'd say the overwhelming majority say they want to go home. But, of course, the question is, will they have a home? The destruction that uh, Putin and his aggressor army is doing to the Ukraine to the Ukraine, to Ukraine is horrific. Uh, I mean, we know someone, actually Ukrainian Ukrainian young family, who led Donetsk years ago, when it first began. They said, they're not going to move somewhere else in Ukraine. We're going to Poland. Said it's too dangerous, not not a political statement, just a personal safety statement. This is seven years ago. So they're happily, you know, already living here, have a job, and they're assimilated, they're wonderful members of the community. Uh, uh, Was it either his, I think his mother, her apartment was hit in Kiev. There's no apartment. Miraculously, she survived. She got out, she's here, but she's probably not going back because there's no apartment. Um, the, c- certainly many of the refugees say, we want to go home. First of all, almost everyone has somebody there. Second of all, it's their home. And, you know, you hear the word refugee, and it's a horrible experience, but these people had real lives, and real jobs, and real apartments, you know, and real TV sets. And, I mean, basically, they just ran whatever they could and their dog. Big fan of dogs, the Ukrainians. Everybody came, most people left their husbands behind, but took the kid and the dog. So um, actually, you know, one person that got out, the husband got out also, didn't have time to grab his medical degrees to prove he was a doctor, but to, to take all the papers for his dog. <laughs> so, uh,
0: so what do you think is going to be, you know, short term, the biggest challenge? Finishing to find them jobs. What what what's the short
1: term? Well uh, short term finding jobs and then finding apartments. Part of that is challenging because the Warsaw, I actually I went online today to look for an apartment for, for someone. And I, I went to Airbnb, which is not a place to look for apartments because they, you know, you pay high price for doing Airbnb. But at least it gives you some and it is. I think, two to three times higher than it was five months ago. So the problem, the challenge now is to get the refugees to understand that maybe they should look at going to Lodz, to Gdansk, to Lublin, to other places that aren't so overpopulated where you can't find an apartment. If you find the apartment, you're paying double or more the price for the rent and where there's more work. The other thing I'm working on, and maybe someone that's listening might even be able to be helpful, are seeing uh, if we could hire people to work remotely, people that have professions that would permit uh, effective work uh, remotely virtually, as um, ironically, three, three years ago, like what's remotely? Oh, somebody lazy doesn't wanna go to work. Um, I mean, now it's a normal thing. Um, one of the interesting, perhaps positive outcomes of the horrible pandemic Uh, So, but a a company in Chicago, IT, graphic, uh, those professions that would be be very effective to work remotely could start hiring uh, refugees, Ukrainian refugees in Poland. And that, in this way, this would really help us. And I personally think it's such a wonderful idea. It wasn't my idea. It was someone else's idea, but... Uh, really, uh, the head of the, the CEO of the, of the Columbus um, Federation, because the companies will end up paying half the salary and the people were making double the salary they would make in Poland. So it's a real zehen This one gains and no one loses. So it's, a, it's kind of, you know, and I, I hired someone two days ago. To work on a form to have the refugees fill out to be able to find out what are their qualifications, what is their work experience, where do they see, what fields do they see themselves working in, so they begin to try to actually not only conceptually find people jobs, but to find people jobs. So if the other thing, the other thing thing, I just a
0: moment, if someone is, if someone would be interested in pursuing this with you. Someone watches this and hears it and says a great idea. Who should they contact?
1: Probably right now, just send it to shudrich at gmail.com. S C H U D R I C H. S C H U D R I C H at gmail.com. Okay. And I will forward it to the person that's dealing
0: with it. Okay. I'm sorry to cut you off. You were going on.
1: You were going to go no, on no. On. So, the, no, another big area is now we're taking in the Ukrainian children into our Jewish school. We have 16 children so far. I'm, I'm guessing by the time we start, uh, the, in September, it'll be 25 to 30. Uh, we're all tuition-free, of course. But we need to be able to... We're creating a tremendous gap in our school budget because not only there's a loss of revenue from the tuition, but we've also hired additional psychologists, a, a teacher that teaches in Ukrainian at least certain things until they get more fluent in Polish, they can learn in Ukrainian and then another teacher to teach them Polish. So and, and we accept this with great love. And this is our responsibility. But that's one of the big things we're now looking for, to have people participate with us to, to sponsor a student.
0: And long term. And I don't know what long term is anymore. Uh, and I, there are so many unknown unknowns. <laughs> How do you imagine that this is going to change the
1: nature of your community? I could say without a doubt. I have no idea. (laughs) But I have some ideas. So um, on the second day of the war, we created a crisis management team to deal with everything that was happening. It really did an unbelievable job helping. And And I thought that this is rather amazing. Because for hundreds of years, we Polish-Jews were the crisis. Four months ago, we became the management team. Hundreds of Jews, uh, hundreds of years, Jews are fleeing out of Poland. Now they're fleeing into Poland. And so uh, I I think it's really a time that the Polish-Jewish community is growing up. Uh, People here are used to being the recipient of philanthropy. Now people are learning they can give. And so... um, by the way, I, don't, I, don't, I hope you can't hear. Uh, oh, it's very nice. The concert going on in the background, but uh, it just started. You're okay? Just a little tiny
0: okay. bit. It's fine. We're
1: doing
0: That's well. It's a nice
1: background. That's the concert sponsored by the Israeli embassy to support Ukrainian uh, refugees and people within the Ukraine. So um, maybe I could do like this. Thing. A little better. Um, so I, I think that it will it could be another motivation of mine to look maybe to to going to Lodge or going to Gdansk. And those small Jewish communities, five five more families will really make a difference. I mean, we'd love to have five more families in Warsaw. It's not gonna change the whole community in the same ways that you'd love to have five new new members uh, of your synagogue. It's probably not gonna change, but in a small community, there's 50, 70, 80 families. You get five new families. That's something. So we don't know. And we're, we're just doing our best to figure it out as we go along.
0: It's fascinating, this, this idea of being givers instead of takers or donors instead of uh, recipients. In, in the Polish-Jewish community, you know, my assumption is you have two issues. One is that Polish-Jewish community has not been a, a wealthy community. And also it's coming off of the, the years of communism where people were not really trained in how to be donors. The infrastructure was almost there. And other words, was everything, everything just came together. Was it nice symphony close or it was, things had been built and the and the C.I. the Shema with God's help. It was a good, it was a time we were ready for it.
1: A good Jewish answer, both. Uh-huh. Uh, we certainly have been building up different things. We we started a few years ago, a grassroots uh, charity called Pushka, run by our guys. It's not very big, but it helps lots of people in small small ways, but it was there. Uh, and everything we've doing for 30 years, uh, 32 years since the fall of communism, actually 33 years since the fall of communism, uh, has enabled us now to take that leap. So I would say it's both all the building that we did and then the help of the Gorish Baruch that really helped us jump from the place we were to the place where we, where we hope we're going.
0: And, and as a community, were Ukrainian Jews similar as a Jewish community to Polish Jews, or were the Polish Jewish community more organized, less, more connected, less connected? How do they match?
1: It's, it's difficult for me to say. I can say that overwhelmingly the Ukrainian Jews that came to Poland uh, were not from traditional observance. A handful were. And many of those more traditional went to Israel. Makes sense. Uh, at our Seder, we... we clearly felt that significant number, and I don't, I'm not trying to say many or what that number is, but it was their first savior. So, uh, but somehow there is this great outpouring in Poland of wanting to help. And the Ukrainians, very happy to have someone who wants to to help them, to be with them. Uh, And because Poland as knows what it needs to suffer, I think there was an additional sensitivity on, on how to talk to a refugee, how to try to support a refugee. And in, in, in a kind of very ironic way, perhaps, and I'm thinking out loud now, easier for us to find practical empathy than perhaps Jews growing up in Chicago of such a beautiful, beautiful life. One could imagine what empathy is for a a refugee, but might miss some of that practical part.
0: Is there a a story that you remember, you tell often when people are visiting, coming to volunteer to try to give people a a picture, a flavor, an idea of what's happening today?
1: Actually, I don't have a favorite story, but I'll share with one anyway. Um, of the the different things that we've had the schools we married it to do um, a a woman got out with her husband and three children her husband has medical issues uh, from Kiev the daughter was in a Jewish school in Kiev and there was a plan to take all the 12 year year old girls away for Shabbaton to make them like a bat mitzvah Shabbaton and instead of going to the Shabbaton, they fled for their lives. Came to Warsaw, and uh, through our organization Hillel, uh, the woman somehow found Hillel. She talked about her twelve-year-old daughter. So the Hillel people said, Well, let's talk to, to Rabbi Shudrick. And about three weeks ago, we had a bat mitzvah for this young lady. And that's and what was amazing is, you know, my shul just being so welcoming and uh, the woman and, and the other Ukrainian Jews that she had met coming to the to the bat mitzvah, and people from the joint that were helping her also coming to the bat mitzvah. Uh, and perhaps, and perhaps uh, what I found, it was a very cute moment where all of a sudden she started getting all these presents. And she said, I didn't know you were supposed to get present here about Mitzvah. <laughs> and, and just overwhelmed by kindness. And that's, that's the way the world is supposed to be. Every once in a while we get it right. Okay. I also had the opportunity to, um, to help with, uh, uh, not a lot, the people did a lot more than I did with the Holocaust survivors. Because I have really focused on working here uh, but I did get a phone call a few months ago saying that they've succeeded in getting out two Holocaust survivors, 92, 93 years old, with their daughter. They're on their way to Israel. Uh, there's a problem. Their passports are expired. Poland would let anyone in from the Ukraine, even without a passport, without anything. The question is, would they let them out? Because Letting in is one thing, letting out is another thing. And so I called a contact in the Ministry of Interior and he said, yes, no problem. He called the border control at that airport, and let him ride through. Then called me up like this was like supposed to be in four or five days. And they had organized one of their, the benefactors of this organization, sent his private plane to take them to Israel. And um, they said, well, you know, we have another woman, not a survivor, born in 1946, but serious heart problems. She's with her granddaughter. Same problem, expired passport. Called my friend, no problem. And then, like the day before, 12 hours before, another person, this time had a good passport. A woman, eight months pregnant, whose husband had just been injured on the front. And so I said, you know, too too many things could go wrong. So I went down, they flew out of south Southeast Poland, and I went down and... uh, and I met this couple, elderly couple, sweetest people, and they spoke Russian, and I don't speak Russian, but I'm Polish, and I know a few words of Russian, and someone was able to find out they have six grandchildren, six great-grandchildren, and they're going to family, and to be able to be part of that, to help these people come home, is amazing. And then I got a photo a few weeks later, with the mother and her new baby, but our new, our new baby.
0: So that is, uh, if they aren't your favorite stories yet, Rabbi, I would suggest you may want to put them in the box with the favorite stories because all of them are magnificent the Bat Mitzvah, the baby, the, the survivors. And believe it or not, on that and, and, story, by, and by but, the way, I'm
1: sorry, I'm sorry. and not a refugee story, but last Friday um, there was a baby boy born in Warsaw, not the first one. But um, the husband is Israeli, and the wife is a Polish Jew, and is, he's a Kohen. So it's the first Kohen to be born in Poland in decades. Wow. Because with so much intermarriage, the whole Kohen lineage gets lost. And we finally have our Kohen again. We have to wait 13 years until he gets, he gets an aliyah, but it's okay. We're he's
0: patient. well by then. Rabbi, I thank you for your time. I uh, our, t- our time is up and your concert is going on. I hope they haven't noticed that you're missing. But no, I- no, don't
1: worry. I took a seat in the very back and I found, I found the secret uh, door <laughs> out the back. So no one saw it at all. Don't worry. Uh,
0: perfect. And I thank you so much for your time once again. But more importantly, for the leadership that you've shown. I know you have been taking thank people you. around, helping people, doing things that... Um, four or five months ago, no one would have ever imagined a person would have to do. But like all Jews have done, you've stepped up to the plate and you've made that difference in people's lives. So thank thank you. you so very, very much for being with us and for everything you do. And I hope everyone who sees this, if there's something that is happening there, that you can help with, reach out to Rabbi His He responds to his emails. It sounds really easy. F-C-H-U-T-R-I-C-H at gmail.com. He'll be happy to take any kind of support that people can give. This is really Hatzalat Mephashim. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.